More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Best Mouths, a multi-generational story on the crest of new trends. Best Mouths' 120-year track record of success is proof that tradition and innovation are not mutually exclusive. The traditional German family malt producer is at the forefront of a recent surge in global demand for modern bespoke beer experience. Since 2014, CEO Dr. Axel Göhler, the grandson of founder Max Göhler, has spearheaded the company's international expansion. Today, the family business distributes quality malts to more than 85 countries, including the US, China, and Brazil. We sat down with Dr. Göhler to discuss Bestmalt's expansion, his unique perspective on the world of German family beer, and the modern concept of craft. Enjoy this episode with Dr. Göhler. When you got the call to join the family business, if you've had a very exciting and international career before, also in the healthcare industry, so so what finally pulled you into the to the family company? When I did my PhD in in Sangal, I was working a lot on family business, and uh, actually the thesis that I wrote was research on family businesses in the brewing industry. Okay, and so I was always I was always kind of involved in our own in our own company. Mm-hmm. However, one of the learnings was, you know, that too many cooks not necessarily make a better cake. And so <laughs> I thought, you know, that my older brother, he should be in charge. And he was also the one who was running it. Mm-hmm. But in 2007, we changed quite strongly the orientation of the company so that it became more of an international company. And Mm -hmm. since I had done a lot of work on the international, having lived in the U.S., having lived in Switzerland, having spent Mm -hmm. a lot of time in international, I was working with BCG for 10 years. So I was Mm -hmm. working a lot on international assignments. And so we felt that this international background may be helpful for the company and the business. And it turned out that it was really helpful. Mm -hmm. But then not only that I became more involved with our business, but also my brother decided that he wanted to do something else. And so there was a handover uh, five years ago okay. from my older brother to myself. Okay. And this also meant that I had to give up what I had done before because neither the consulate nor the business in my own company, we were more in project finance and a little bit investment banking, mm-hmm. project mm-hmm. finance. This was our, we were like a boutique business uh, mm-hmm. in Hamburg, but it didn't, you know, just from the time and also the involvement that was needed in our own company here, uh, it just mm-hmm. didn't fit together. So you having studied, of course, as well, family businesses and their intricacies in your PhD in San Galan, you then, of course, also understand my next question, because it is, of course, actually quite an unusual situation for one family member to join and the other one to leave. I guess that avoids some of the potential friction that can happen when multiple family members are in the family business. But how did that play out for you, for the company itself? Like, Did you feel like you you changed a lot about the culture when you became... Uh, sort of like the figurehead, I guess, of the business. Like, what kind of changes 
were implemented once you joined and, and what was kept from what your brother had instituted? The basic strategic orientation was done by my brother, which simply had to do with the fact that, you know, the German brewing industry is not a growing industry. There's a lot mm -hmm. of consolidation. There's, uh, especially with the mid-sized breweries, there's a lot of breweries going out of business. And overall, the consumption of beer in Germany is declining. Mm, really? Okay. Having understood this, the company needed at least plan B to go in new areas. And at the same mm -hmm. time, which was around 2005, the craft beer industry was coming up, which mm -hmm. at that time seemed like an interesting alternative. Um, however, mm -hmm. what we didn't know back then was that the business from craft beer or craft malt, as opposed to the traditional mm -hmm. malting business, is a completely different business. And this is, I think, something that my, my brother could not fully understand because he was too much in a startup phase, but mm -hmm. which is now very, very evident because we have very different processes on the logistics side. We have a completely yes. different financial risk scenario because we're now having 65% in the international business. The next question that I think a lot of families sometimes tend to see as a trade-off is this idea of like uh, that maintaining tradition and innovating and expanding is somehow mutually exclusive or can be uh, can be harmful one to the other. But it seems possible, at least from, from your example, that you can maintain your history and, and look back on it, maintain your identity, your traditional identity, but still move forward into other markets and sort of change strategic directions. How do you see this intersection between, as a family business, where to find that sweet spot between innovation and maintaining traditions that are important to your business and your identity? In our industry, this answer is, is fairly easy because there is no contradiction between tradition and innovation. In order to explain this, traditionally producing malt means to produce malt very close to the natural process. So. Mm -hmm to the way how malting is done in nature. And that means it's done very gently. It's done mm -hmm. with a lot of time. Uh, there are technical and, and chemical ways to uh, speed up a lot of these mm -hmm. processes. But if you want to retain the traditional way of developing mm -hmm. grain mm -hmm. into malt, which is then being used for beer, it just requires to stick to these rules and these traditions. Having said this, doesn't mean, of course, that on the logistics side, for instance, or on the IT supportive side, or on certain customer mm -hmm. programs that we develop in order to be more mm -hmm. uh, supportive of what our brewers, our, our customers globally, what they want. I mean, there's a lot of room of innovation there. You mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that uh, beer consumption is actually on the decline, if I heard you correctly. And I was just yeah. wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about, like, of course, your customers are the breweries, but the breweries naturally um, are successful based on the demand for the end product, which is beer. Uh, tell us more about what kind of trends you see here for the end beer consumer. Like, you know, why do you think there's a there's a decline? Is that regionally conditioned? Do you think has your family seen these kinds of uh, declines before? Is that a normal cyclical thing that happens to this kind of product? Um, what do you expect the, the future will bring here in terms of preferences? 
the decline is uh, clearly visible in some of the markets which are traditionally more beer consuming markets so if we distinguish between countries like Italy or France which are more wine consumers mm-hmm. as a whole countries like Belgium or the UK or Germany would be more on the beer tradition mm-hmm. uh, and in these beer markets um we do see more or less a decline in the overall beer consumption so the mm-hmm. per capita mm-hmm. consumption is going down certainly in Germany uh mm-hmm. where some of the breweries are losing year by year um they're losing uh, market share and overall volume mm-hmm. at the same time and that's really the reason for this new craft beer initiative which is a global initiative people are looking for more identity in whatever they consume so mm-hmm. if if they buy t-shirts these t-shirts must reflect their own personality if they mm-hmm. buy shoes you know they want running shoes which reflect their personality and their ambition and mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. lifestyle when they go running and they want to they're using these products as tools to show what they want to portray of themselves to the outside mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the same is true for beer and for you because you you clearly position yourself as a family business the the family ownership badge for you is clearly also a competitive advantage when it comes to exactly creating that kind of confidence so you consciously underline it yes definitely because you know identity is somehow linked with family mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. one of the complaints many companies have about these large conglomerates is that they are totally neutral it's hard to have any continuity in the in the management because mm-hmm. people change frequently so obviously a family business where you see the same people again and again uh, whether it's at trade shows or at business meetings mm-hmm. uh, i mean this gives a lot of security and stability to some of the customers and so yeah i think the family is certainly a, an advantage because it gives identity to a product so for you it is a preference that best malts remain in the Göller family hands is there a next generation that seems to be interested in coming on board for the business one of the things that um i found out in my at my phd work was that it's very very crucial not to force anyone mm-hmm. in a role mm-hmm. that he cannot fill mm-hmm. if it works out it's fine but if it doesn't work out because the next generation is either not capable or not willing or not trained enough then also one shouldn't one shouldn't force this because this can really harm the mere existence of a company it is interesting for us that you having studied the subject as well and and you just gave a very important piece of advice so not to um insist or force the next generation into the business definitely definitely sound advice as we've seen over the many interviews we've done with family businesses around the world it it's almost always backfires mm. but if you had uh, based on your studies but also based on you now being in your own family business which i'm sure was a it was also a surprising experience to a certain extent so it's different to be um at the helm oneself um what kind of advice do you have for the family businesses around you in your industry but also beyond when looking at everything that's happening in this 21st century and everything that's about to happen in in quite a turbulent time maybe in history i would say being part of this fourth industrial revolution what kind of advice do you have for families that want to last for generations a couple of things um i think one important thing is 
that the family is close to the business, physically close to the business, mm-hmm. um, especially with smaller businesses. I think it helps a lot when the children grow up close to the business because otherwise mm-hmm. the business becomes uh, a money-making machine but mm-hmm. not necessarily a family business because they don't see the features that makes this business attractive mm-hmm. so being close physically close to the to the business i think is important and being exposed to the to the business um second thing i think is don't um communicate to the next generation that they are having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, next generation is not very likely to take up the task uh, mm-hmm. because why should they? You know, if they only hear about the problems and the things that don't work, uh, why should they ruin their lives with uh, starting things that are not joyful? So, of course, in a family situation, you're always exposed to your uh, loved ones, uh, which means it becomes kind of hard to not communicate authentically what's happening in the daily business which is obviously not always fun mm-hmm. but if the the parts that are clearly non-fun you know people leaving the business uh, mm-hmm. things not working outright customers not paying their bills if these things become too much of an issue mm-hmm. uh, why should the next gen- generation take over of course Another very important thing is, I think, uh, you know, the the senior management must understand when it's the right point to leave the business. You know, the the time today with the social media and with uh, mergers, with uh, capital markets changing, I mean, there's so much change that I think it's more important than ever that uh, the senior people have to understand now it's time to go Mm -hmm. and let the next generation make their mistakes, but also let them run the business. Because it's a very tedious task to convince elderly managers about something which they can't understand because it's just too much change. Mm-hmm. Something else which I find really important is that uh, wealth management mm-hmm. must be done in addition and separate from the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if the business is the major source of wealth and the only source of wealth, it becomes you know the whole issue of inheriting and finding compromises between three or four or five uh, sons or daughters mm-hmm. becomes really difficult. So I mm-hmm. think family managers and family leaders have to think early on, fairly early on in their in their lives, they have to think, how will I be able to split up my wealth in a fair way so that everyone is happy, even mm-hmm. if he's not part of the family business? Yeah. Because if the family business, the only way to really get to the wealth then everyone will want to be in the family business, even mm-hmm. the ones who should not who should not be. And finally, one last thing, I think I find it really important to have open dialogue, uh, even though it's family. You know, an open dialogue sometimes can be very brutal and uh, not always friendly, but I think it's extremely important that one has a, an open and fair dialogue within the family about these issues. No, you may not be suited for the next generation in our business because you can't do this or you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and telling this to your sons and daughters may be very tough, but you just have to because if there's unclear roles and too many compromises, these businesses will not be able to perform in the markets because mm-hmm. the markets don't mm-hmm. care. I mean, they, they don't, they don't care. care about families. They want good products and they want good solutions and they want best for their money. Yeah. And so 
Uh, it's not easy. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. For the time being, it works out for us. Um, <laughs> and we'll see. We'll see what the future brings. Well, we, we'd like to think that after over 100 years, it's a little bit more than a coincidence that it's worked out for your family. And we look forward mm -hmm. to seeing what is uh, what is next for Best Malts. But uh, first of all, thank you very much, Axel, for taking the time. We appreciate it. We, we must, from what we understand, must be a very busy schedule. So many thanks for sharing your insights with the Throw of Magazine readers. It's uh, very much appreciated. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.